The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Pripyat is a Ukrainian ghost town near the northern border with Belarus. Not a single resident lives there today. However, in 1985, roughly 50,000 people inhabited the then Soviet city originally built to accommodate the employees of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. In 1985, the city had 13,414 apartments, large hospital, over 25 cafes, a movie theater, an art school, a museum, gyms, indoor swimming pools, two sports stadiums, Central Park with a giant Ferris wheel, much more. And then at 1.23 a.m. on Saturday, April 26, 1986, the number four reactor heated up to more than 100 times its usual operating power, which is very, very bad. Reactor number four exploded, and then several hundred staff and firefighters tackled a blaze that burned for 10 days and sent a plume of radiation around the globe. And it is a globe, flat earthers. In the worst ever civil nuclear disaster the world has ever seen, more than 50 reactor and emergency workers died, and in the years since, many more have died. How many deaths can be attributed to Chernobyl? How disastrous is a nuclear disaster? Will no one be safe to live in the former town of Pripyat? Are you safe from a nuclear disaster? What led to the Chernobyl nuclear disaster? Am I saying nuclear correctly? I'm saying it so many times. So much explored, examined, and evaluated in this atom bomb of a suck. This full nuclear edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. What's going on, suckers? Back in the suck dungeon today, and it feels good. I'm Dan Cummins. And this is Time Suck. Time Suck is brought to us today by a part of the Time Suck family. It's brought to us by Melissa Soroka, hair and makeup studio in Maitland, Florida, part of the greater Orlando area where so much of Time Suck is located. The Melissa Soroka hair and makeup studio is conveniently located in Maitland, Florida, next to the Publix Shopping Center, 525 Sabela Parkway, Maitland, Florida, Suite 202. 
And that's S-Y-B-E-L-I-A. I hope I'm saying that right. Melissa specializes in vivid color, also does hairstyles for the whole family. She's available for hair and makeup for weddings and family photos. She does HD camera-ready makeup for movies and commercials so people can enjoy watching you on screen instead of focusing on counting your pores. Damn you, 4K. You can find more info at melissasoroka.com. Check out her photos when you follow her on Instagram at instagram.com. You know, handle Melissa Soroka Hair. And it's M-E-L-I-S-S-A-S-U-R-R-O-C-A. Link available in the episode description. Make it easy for you guys. So just click that link. And she's having some limited edition Time Suck magnets made up to give to Time Suckers who come in and get a service. And who's making those? Her husband, Sebastian Soroka, part of the Danger Brain crew who designed the app avatars, the, uh, the recent merch, right, the, the logo. Uh, for the Time Suck and for the Secret Suck. So if you're in the Orlando area, check out Melissa Sirocco. And uh, yeah, part of the Time Suck family with Danger Brain. Can't recommend her enough. I know Lindsay is going to get some get her, get her hair did next time her and I are out in Orlando. Thanks, Time Suckers, for all the recent iTunes reviews. And it is iTunes, not iTunes, as I guess I, I say quite often, as someone pointed out recently. Uh, well over 3,000 right now, and the overwhelming majority of those reviews are positive. Uh, it means so much. Help spread the suck uh, so uh, so effectively. And the negative ones usually make me laugh so hard. Like a recent one-star review from 123 Softball Chick, Allie, uh, who posted a subject line of really bad. Fair enough. You know, direct to the point. You know, conveys your opinion. And then she posts, I tried to give this podcast another chance, mostly because he covers serial killers, which is one of my favorite topics. He talks way too fast for starters. All right. That's, uh, again, another fair point. I have, to, uh, I have to work on slowing down here and there. I get excited. I get impatient to get into the next bit of info, get passionate. And then she says, <laughs> all the impressions slash accents he does are horrible. Uh, hey, that's not true. Uh, actually, you know what? That is kind of true. If, if you are a, um, a fan of like, if like impressions are your thing, like, like very, uh, you know, perfectly done impressions. If that's your thing, if you're like a student of accents, you know, maybe, maybe you're an actor yourself. And, uh, you know, like you're into the method people and you want it to be done perfectly and it just takes you out of everything if the accent isn't done perfectly. Uh, well, then, yeah, this is not the podcast for you. And then uh, <laughs> and then she says he laughs at himself. He's the only one laughing. OK, now here's where you start to be a trolley douche, Allie. Uh, I'm the only one on the fucking podcast, you idiot. So, of course, I'm the only one laughing in the room. There's, it's not like there's another person who just never talks and is always quiet. And, and I, I do realize you're probably saying that, you know, as in like no one out there in the world. And that's a bold statement. Uh, other people are laughing. Uh, read the other posts to figure that out. Uh, also realize that I made a living as a comic for over a decade and a half. Other people are, are definitely laughing, you sad, angry troll. And uh, but then she says, while I can tell he does his research. OK. All right. Positive note. I, I appreciate that. And then she says, the ad-libbing makes it impossible to listen to. I, <laughs> I'm not one that thinks true crime can't be funny. It's just that his jokes are horrible. God, I fucking, I do love this. I just love it when someone becomes so enraged by free content that they feel, <laughs> that they feel the need to not only just like move on, which I totally get. It's like, oh, I don't want to listen to that anymore. I, I, I get that. I get this isn't for everyone. Oh, man, believe, I've done comedy so long. I've pissed off so many people in live shows. Believe me, I get this is objective. Uh, I understand it in a way that people who haven't performed as an artist or put art out there will never understand. Uh, <laughs> but then what I don't do is like, just like, ugh, take the time to be like, what the fuck? I fucking hate this so much. Like, I've literally never done that. 
on on any review of anything. I've I've just gone away. Oh man, like uh, like I hate Yelp trolls, but I get in the restaurant kind of you know uh, area that if you go out, you've paid money, you expect a certain kind of food, and then if it's really bad service, I I do get. The negative review there. I'm just always so uh, confused when it's like when you're doing that to free content where it's like, hey, man, I took fucking 10 minutes of my time to listen to something I had nothing to do with making and it wasn't perfect for me. So fuck you. (laughs) That's such an angry person. And I'm angry, but I'm like, I feel like I'm a little more rational with my anger. But if you do like me, uh, come see me live. I'm at at Hilarities in Cleveland, Ohio this weekend uh, where there, there will be other people laughing. I promise. Allie, come fucking check it out. If you're, if you're happening to give this podcast another chance, come come listen, pop in, and then you can be like, all right, other people laugh, but I still fucking hate this son of a bitch. And then, fair enough. Uh, March 22nd to 24th. Not sure when I'll be back in Cleveland again, so so get there. And uh, just a few weeks, I'll be in Charlotte, North Carolina, April 8th, Atlanta, Georgia on the 9th, Birmingham, Alabama on the 10th, Huntsville, Alabama uh, on the 11th. Let's talk about Flat Earth. The Flat Earth Tour continues. Fucking NASA employees out there. Uh, I will be in Nashville, Tennessee on the 12th, uh, Houston, Texas on the 13th, Dallas, Texas, the 14th, San Antonio, Texas, the 15th, Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, I, I will be there the 20th and the 21st. And then San Francisco, Sacramento, and Phoenix coming up right up uh, afterwards in May. Another live time suck podcast in Spokane on May 6th. So come check out the Flat Earth Tour. More tour dates at dancummins.tv. Thanks to all the secret Space Lizard signups these past few weeks. Waiting to hear back on if I'm getting that psychic reading, by the way. Uh, I'm going to keep emailing David Ike Psychic. Uh, love how fun and weird things are getting. Now, time to go nuclear. And just so you know, uh, I know the correct pronunciation is nuclear. Nuclear. Uh, nuclear is another way I say it sometimes, and just know that that variant is accepted, as I pointed out in the past by Merriam-Webster. So calm the fuck down, pronunciation Nazis. Don't go nuclear if I say nuclear. And stay tuned for this week's Time Sucker Updates to hear more info from listeners about Chernobyl. So what actually happened with Chernobyl? This is an important question to ask. Uh, There is the official Soviet narrative regarding what happened, but we can't entirely trust that. Before the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, the state controlled the media, state-controlled journalists, and journalists reported what the state wanted them to report, what the official narrative was supposed to be. Uh, This was a huge, embarrassing disaster for the Soviet Union. Uh, U.S. President Ronald Reagan, Secretary of the Communist Party Mikhail Gorbachev, they were still involved in the Cold War. So Gorbachev didn't want to look like a fool and worse, didn't want to look like – didn't want to look weak especially in the eyes of the U.S. So the nuclear arms race had become central to the Cold War, and a nuclear blunder of any sort would be a huge embarrassment. So the Russians were in damage control mode for sure uh, from the beginning regarding what caused the reactor to actually melt down, and then afterwards the true extent of the damage caused by the meltdown. And what's the big deal with radiation anyway? I mean, is it really that bad for you? Uh, I doubt it. I mean, I used to hike around the old uh, Hanford Superfund site near eastern Washington's Tri-Cities, heavily radioactive, America's most contaminated nuclear waste site, not really that far from where I grew up in central Idaho, and I used to uh, catch a variant of bass uh, native just to that area. It's the large and smallmouth, slow-moving, five-headed bass fish thing, perfect for romantic dinners because it provides its own light. And I'm fine. I definitely have less than 15 toes, and I don't have that much webbing in between any of them. Uh, No, of course it's dangerous. Uh, Yes, at certain levels, radiation will melt the fucking bones right out of your head. Uh, First off, let's acknowledge that radiation is everywhere, though. There is a low level of background radiation perpetually around us all at all times, right? The sun, soil, rocks, even animals give off low levels of radiation. Damn it. 
Can't even go on a hike to get away from radiation. Actually, it sounds like hiking is full of radiation. Nice, nice try, Mother Nature. Looking all serene and shit. Always trying to lure me into your radiation field. Uh-uh, not this guy. So how does it hurt us? How does radiation hurt us? Catherine Higley, director of the Oregon State University Department of Nuclear Engineering and Radiation Health Physics, Professor Smarty Pants herself, explains, As a radioactive material decays or breaks down, the energy released into the environment has two ways of harming a body that is exposed to it. It can kill uh, directly, it can directly kill cells, or it can cause mutations to DNA. If those mutations are not repaired, the cell may turn cancerous. So these are two categories of injury, somatic injury and genetic injury. Somatic injury is damage that occurs to the organism exposed to high levels of ionizing radiation and does not include reproductive cells. Effects like sickness, hair loss, internal bleeding, you know, things that are you know, visible shortly after exposure, other illnesses such as cancer may take a number of years to appear, and that's somatic injury. Genetic injury is damage to the reproductive cells due to exposure to high levels of ionizing radiation and can be passed down to an organism's offspring perhaps generations later. Like some potential illnesses could be birth abnormalities and cancer. Uh, Somatic and genetic injuries are not solely caused by ionizing radiation. Many chemical pollutants found in our environment, such as cadmium, lead, mercury, can also cause similar injuries. Uh, Radiation can damage at a DNA level. That's crazy. If a strand of DNA is damaged by radiation, the cell may repair the damage, die, or kill itself through a process known as apoptosis. Apoptosis. I wonder if this is why my son Kyler has three nipples or why my daughter Monroe has four testicles. Might, might be all those Hanford hikes. I don't know. Now I'm starting to second guess it. Uh, and you don't need to have uh, to have lived like near some nuclear uh, catastrophe to have experienced radiation. Again, we've all experienced it. We're all experiencing it right now, especially you piney suckers. And radioactive materials can't occur naturally. Uranium is present uh, in the Earth's crust. Is brought to the Earth's surface through coal mining, among many other ways. And then there's radioactive waste, which is the byproduct of nuclear power generation or nuclear weapons manufacture or working with highly radioactive materials. Nuclear waste is the material that nuclear fuel becomes after it is used in a reactor. From the outside, it can look you know, exactly like the fuel that was loaded uh, into the reactor. Assemblies of metal rods, enclosed fuel pellets, etc., Uh, But since nuclear reactions have now occurred with or around this metal, the contents aren't quite the same when they come back out. Uh, Nuclear energy is released when a nuclear fuel atom snaps into two, and the key component of nuclear waste is the leftover smaller atoms known as fission product, and this is radioactive. And nuclear reactors uh, in the U.S. alone produce more than 2,000 metric tons of radioactive waste a year, according to the Department of Energy. And some of this waste will be lethal to humans for another 250,000 years. Man, so much for truly clean energy. And a lot of that waste is being stored at the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant 26 miles east of Carlsbad, New Mexico, less than 100 miles from Earth's butthole, Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, Inside joke for those of you who heard the Norse gods suck. And this waste is being placed in rooms... 2,150 feet underground that have been excavated with a 3,000-foot thick uh, salt formation or excavated within this 3,000-foot naturally occurring salt formation. It's part of the Salado and Castile formations where salt tectonics have been stable for more than 250 million years. So they go way on the desert. It's like this big old salt block underground. They like dug into the middle of it, and that's where they've been piling our nuclear waste. Uh, just toss it in the salt hole, man. Just toss that nukes, uh, toss those nukes in the salt hole, and then harvest that salt and feed it to your enemies. Would you like some more salt, person? I hate. You'll know you have the right amount when your tongue falls off uh, and just lands on your plate. Hail Nimrod.
Now, luckily, uh, not all forms of radioactive waste remain radioactive for 250,000 years. Radioactive iodine, one of the byproducts of nuclear power creation, an example of nuclear waste that can be released in a meltdown, doesn't even last uh, anywhere near that long. It tends to be absorbed by the thyroid gland. It can cause thyroid cancer. But radioactive iodine is short-lived and will be around only about two months after an accident, says Andre uh, Bouvel of the National Cancer Institute who has studied radiation doses from the fallout of the 1986 Chernobyl explosion in Ukraine. Uh, so if the exposure to the air comes after that time, uh, radioactive iodine does not pose a health risk, is what he says. Radioactive cesium, another reactor byproduct, on the other hand, can stay in the environment for uh, more than a century. But it does not concentrate in one part of the body the way to, that radioactive iodine does. The Chernobyl accident released a plume of radioactive materials into the atmosphere in a fraction of a second. In the following years, the incidence of thyroid cancer among those exposed as children uh, increased in Ukraine and nearby countries. The cancer showed up between four and ten years after the accident. Children were exposed to radioactive material mainly from eating contaminated leafy vegetables and dairy. There have been no detectable health effects from exposure to radioactive cesium after the accident. So in general, uh, it takes a pretty high dose of radiation to increase cancer risk. Uh, Americans are exposed to about three uh, millisieverts. Each year from natural sources such as the sun and even at that low amount, consistent exposure to the radiation present in those ultraviolet rays can give you skin cancer. A person's risk of getting sick depends on how much radiation the body absorbs. Uh, those of, uh, exposed to high levels of radiation, about 2,000 millisieverts, could develop actual radiation sickness. And that shit is no joke, man. Radiation sickness uh, is often fatal and can produce symptoms such as bleeding, shedding of the lining of the gastrointestinal tract, cause nausea, vomiting bloody diarrhea, mouth ulcers, and the most terrifying symptom of all, spontaneous bleeding. I don't have a medical degree, but spontaneous bleeding sounds like just about the worst system, uh, symptom Excuse me, you can have for, for any disease. Just, uh, this is bad, doc. I'm, I'm puking blood. No, no, we, we can work with that. Uh, I'm also shitting blood. That seems bad. I mean, and that's bad, right? Uh, yes, yes, blood defecation is quite severe, but I can work with it. There's still plenty of hope to be had. Oh, and lately I've just started spontaneously bleeding. Just blood just pours out of my skin, my ears, and my eyes. Holy shit, what the hell are you doing here? What, are you trying to kill us all? Listen, son, medically speaking, you are fucked. Now go crawl out in the woods and die alone, you selfish son of a bitch. Yeah, so, uh, you know, 2,000 millisieverts of radiation, real bad. Uh, even a total dose as low as 400 to 600 millisieverts, uh, milli, uh, Jesus, millisieverts can also be lethal, can also cause uh, spontaneous bleeding. Ugh. Or, or, according to what I've read in some comic books, it can be super awesome and you can become Dr. Manhattan, for example, right? The source of imp- inspiration for the white eyes of the Time Suck logo. He began as a simple lab technician named Dr. John Osterman. When he was trapped in a radioactive particle test, his entire body was destroyed down to the molecular level, but he was able to rebuild his body and return as Dr. Manhattan. Thank you, Alan Moore. Thank you, Dave Gibbons. Thanks, DC Comics, for publishing The Watchmen. So there's that. So, you know, uh, I feel like, you know, you can just kind of take your chances. If you come across some highly radioactive material, if you accidentally find yourself in the middle of like a nuclear weapons manufacturing plant or something, and there's like a, a big room that says, do not enter, you know, uh, molecular disintegration possible or something like that. I just feel like it's a fucking toy cost. Sure. Maybe you're going to spontaneously bleed out, or maybe you're going to be able to become Dr. Manhattan and project yourself to other uh, worlds at will. And again, 
Uh, for reference, a chest X-ray is only about 0.02 millisievert, millisieverts, according to the International Atomic Energy Agency, and people are exposed to about 2.4 millisieverts per year from natural background radiation in the environment. So that's just a little primer on radiation uh, before we get into this whole Chernobyl disaster. Now, let's lead up to that fateful day in 1986 when shit went sideways with a little time stuck timeline that includes a brief history on the international development of nuclear power. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. Eighteen ninety-five, Wilhelm Röntgen discovers the X-ray. In the process of conducting various experiments and applying currents to different vacuum tubes, old Smarty Pants discovers that despite covering one uh, in a screen to block out light, there still seemed to be some rays penetrating through to react with a barium solution on a screen he'd placed nearby. After several experiments, including uh, taking what would become the world's first X-ray photo of his wife's hand and skeletal structure uh, with these new rays, he named them X-rays temporarily as a designation of something unknown, and the name stuck. And according to the 2012 edition of the Collins Scrabble Words Dictionary, you can play that word, right? You can play X-ray uh, with no hyphen, just X-R-A-Y. Always needing those X words with Scrabble. 1896, this initial discovery is followed in 1896 uh, by Henri Becquerel's discovery that uranium salts gave off similar rays naturally. Though originally thinking that the rays were given off as uh, uh, phosphorescent uranium salts after prolonged exposure to the sun, he eventually abandoned that hypothesis. Through further experimentation, including non-phosphorescent uranium, he instead came to recognize that the material itself gave off the rays. So they're just figuring out that this uh, radioactive material is, is emitting its own form of light back in 1895, 1896. And then uh, uh, Henri's, a French doctoral student, won uh, Marie Curie. Uh, she named this newly uh, discovered phenomenon, the, these rays emanating from substances such as uranium, this process of atomic nuclei uh, breaking down and releasing high-energy particles, radioactivity. She called it radioactivity in 1898. And the particles being released are called radiation. And years later, radiation would be used to create the recipe for monster energy drinks. To this day, a small amount of the profits from monster energy drinks make its way to the descendants of Marie Curie. Curie. And that is total nonsense. Uh, Monster Energy is not radioactive that I am aware of. But if an article came out saying that it was, not shocked. Uh, Random trivia, Marie Curie, Curie, fucking Marie Curie, there we go, was not ethnically French. She was a naturalized French physicist originally from Warsaw, Poland. Uh, Maria Salomea Slodowska. Uh, after all the shit I've given Polish listeners, I felt necessary to throw you this bone. She was a Polish genius. Turns out they for sure exist. Uh, Marie Curie uh, would go on to become the first woman to win the Nobel Prize. She'd go on to win two Nobel Prizes in two different sciences. Also become the first woman to be- uh, become a professor at the University of Paris. So, you know, yay Polish people. Uh, yay women. And I don't know. Uh, hail Lucifina. Uh, between 1898 and 1902, the Curies... Marie worked with fellow researcher and husband Pierre, published jointly or separately a total of 32 scientific papers, including one that announced that when exposed to radium, disease tumor-forming cells were destroyed faster than healthy cells. Using radiation and cancer treatment can be traced back to Curie. Uh, pretty amazing. She deserves her own suck someday for sure. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't know at the time that radiation, in addition to being able to cure cancer, could also ironically cause cancer. Prior to Curie's research, the atom was considered unbreakable. 
and also to be the smallest thing in existence. Curie discovered that radiation was the product of atoms splitting apart. Her research also led to this insane, and I'm not making this up, this insane radiation craze in the earliest 20th century that I didn't know about before I started researching this episode. Uh, Holy shit. Once people found out that radiation could attack tumors, it became assumed that it was kind of this cure-all. You know, they could take care of all kinds of stuff. Like it was this new miracle substance. One doctor wrote in the American Journal of Clinical Medicine, radioactivity prevents insanity, rouses noble emotions, retards old age, and creates a splendid, youthful, joyous life. Uh, yeah, yeah, turns out it does exactly none of that stuff. But suddenly, watches, clock faces, gun sights, instrument panels, fingernail polish, even children's toys are glowing with radiation. I swear. Uh, you can do some Google research. Uh, if you do some image searches, uh, you find all kinds of hilarious old ads and packaging. Uh, the United States Radium Corporation, for example, opened in 1914 in New York City, and, and they hand-painted all sorts of items with radioactive radium in their New Jersey factories. And the employees of the factories of these corporations uh, would lick their brushes to keep the, the tips pointed during their work, ingesting radioactive particles each and every time they did that. And years later, their teeth and skulls began to disintegrate. And then these poor people, uh, dying and unable to work, made their way south to the Jersey Pine Barrens and began popping out so many nuke babies. Well, looky here now, I got some pig, tastiest, <laughs> tastiest nuke I ever did lick. Out of my woman's beard. Well, looky here now. With a full belly, made a nuke baby with a woman on mine and her second head. Well, looky here now. A nuke baby fell out of my woman's magic nuke butt. And a second nuke baby dropped out of mine. And those nuke babies had another baby. And the butt baby is a Jersey Devil. And that's how the song's going to end. No, uh, they did not take off to the Pine Barrens to have butt babies and give birth to the Jersey Devil. But, but, they did sadly begin to suffer and die. By the early 1920s, women working at these factories began to connect their swollen jaws and fragile bones. Their bones are literally disintegrating to their deaths and to working in these factories. By 1927, litigation was beginning to be brought against the United States Radium Corporation, other similar companies. However, they'd continue to pump out their products for decades, uh, you know, because no true scientific understanding of the harmful effects of radioactive exposure was yet known. Some uh, early deaths, you know, uh, companies like making radium cosmetics and toothpaste promising to rejuvenate the teeth and skin. Oh, my gosh. Even radioactive condoms are being produced. Wow. Just a whole new way to experience a burning sensation on your genitals. Right. Like they had no idea how toxic this stuff was yet. Just putting their weans in some radioactive condoms and then putting those radioactive weans in vaginas. Like how ironic that the early practitioners of safe sex were adding a preposterously unnecessary danger to their bedroom activities. Uh, Radiation was also added to cigarettes. Yeah, most cancer-inducing cigarettes ever. Uh, Radioactive cigarettes, that was a real thing. You could even get radium-infused sand for your your kids' sand pits. Not kidding. It was advertised as more hygienic and beneficial than world-renowned curative baths. Yeah, just get in the nuke sand, kids. Hey, kids, you're looking a little pale. Why don't you get in the nuke box? Go on there. Get in the nuke box. Uh, the general public, uh, yeah, no idea this was horrible for you. 1926, uh, her man, Joseph Mueller, uh, an American geneticist, did finally figure out that this shit was really bad for you. He discovered a clear quantitative connection between radiation and lethal mutations. By 1928, some other scientists had made the same connection. But then the Great Depression hit and everyone had other stuff to worry about. Right? So shut the fuck up about your radiation mutations, Dr. Crazy Talk. We're trying to figure out how to not starve to death right now and get our economy going. And then on the heels of the Great Depression, World War II hit, 
and it still wasn't a good time to hear about radiation was bad for you, right? There was a war to be fought, a war to be won by any means necessary, and radiation was becoming crucial to that war effort. So don't talk shit about it. It wouldn't be until 1946 that Mueller would be uh, awarded the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine for the discovery that mutations can be induced by x-rays. Now, that was conveniently given to him after the war and after a couple of real nasty bombs were dropped on Japan, right? Seems like very suspicious timing to me. Oh, radiation is bad? Seriously? Oh, man. Oh, if we only knew about that before we bombed the fuck out of Japan. Oh, we're so sorry. Whoops. Whoopsies. Uh, 1932, uh, British physicist James Chadwick discovered that the neutron uh, was a thing. Uh, big discovery concerning the ability to create both nuclear power and nuclear weapons. An important piece of the atomic puzzle was unlocked. The atom has a nucleus, a central region of protons and neutrons circled by electrons. This discovery was verified by the scientific community in 1934, and he won the Nobel Prize in 1935. Uh, scientists soon realized that the newly discovered neutron was an, an, an uncharged but fairly massive particle, could be used to probe other nuclei. It didn't take long for scientists to find that hitting uranium with neutrons resulted in the fission of the uranium nucleus and the release of incredible amounts of energy, making possible nuclear weapons. Chadwick would work on the Manhattan Project, another future suck during World War II to build atomic bombs. Also in 1932, well-known industrialist uh, Playboy, three-bottle-a-day Radithor drinker Eben Byers, uh, Radithor being radioactive water, sold as a cure-all, died a horrific death of a then-unknown illness. Turns out he had a real bad case of radiation sickness. Byers had drank nearly 1,400 bottles of radioactive water over three years. Holy shit. Uh, he was probably smoking radioactive cigarettes and probably playing in his kid's radioactive sand nuke box as well. And by the time he died, Byers' brain was abscessed and holes were forming in his skull. Upon his death, the Wall Street Journal ran the headline, The Radiatum Water Worked Fine Until His Jaw Came Off. Ugh. What a terrible way to go out. But still, radioactive products continue to be sold. 1938, the process of nuclear fission is discovered by German physicists uh, Lisa Mettner and Otto Feisch. They determined that when an atom nucleus splits and creates new nuclei, a process called nuclear fission, it releases vast amounts of energy. They theorized that a fission chain reaction was possible. They also theorized that this chain reaction could be harnessed to create a limitless supply of clean energy for ships, planes, factories, homes, etc., in 1942, the world's first nuclear reactor is built in Chicago, Illinois. It's called Chicago Pile 1, an apt title considering how low-tech this thing was. Uh, here's a quote. Uh, it was a stack of 40,000 graphite blocks held together in a wooden frame 20 feet five, uh, 25 feet wide and 20 feet tall. Inside, about half the blocks were holes uh, containing small amounts of uranium oxide. Inside, a few others were nuggets of refined uranium metal, the production of which was still a novel process. The pile had few safety features. The scientists' only protection against radiation came from a set of cadmium control rods designed to be inserted and removed by hand, along with untested theories and calculations. As one governmental report later put it, there were no guidelines to follow, no previous knowledge to incorporate. Right? They were pioneers. Neither university nor city officials were told that an experiment uh, that even as creators judged as risky was taking place in the heart of the second largest city in the United States. Love it. Man, just a bunch of scientists dicking around with a radioactive brick pile trying to cause some atomic reactions. That, that could have been one of the biggest scientific backfires in U.S. history. Just contaminate all of Chicago with lethal radiation. Oh, sorry, guys. Whoops. Uh, 
You're all going to have to move. You're all going to have to find a different place to live. It's, the whole city has to go. Uh, the experiment itself was anticlimactic. Uh, the piles you know, started up on December 2nd, brought to criticality, the point at which a nuclear reaction becomes self-sustaining, then shut down a half hour later before its growing heat and radioactivity became too dangerous and could possibly cause a massive explosion. Uh, the metallurgical laboratory experimented with it for a few months before disassembling and reconstituting it, now with radioactive shielding at a site somewhat more removed from the city where it became known as Chicago Pile 2. Uh, ultimately, the reactor ran for over a decade there before it was finally dismantled and buried in the woods. Uh, the following month, planning, uh, uh, planning began to build a proper series of nuclear reactors at Hanford, Washington, right, to breed plutonium for a bomb. And in January of 1945, plutonium reprocessing begins at Hanford. Uh, January 20th, uranium is separated for the first time in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. On July 16th, the U.S. explodes the world's first atomic bomb, the Trinity Test. At Alamogordo, New Mexico. On August 6th, Little Boy, a uranium bomb, is dropped on Hiroshima, Japan. Between 80,000 and 140,000 people are killed. On August 9th, Fat Man, a plutonium bomb, is dropped on Nagasaki, Japan, and about 74,000 people are killed. Fuck. So many civilians, man. We have to suck on those bombings someday, for sure. I, I get the rationale to stop the war. I've heard about it many times. You know, the, you know, less overall loss of life than if the war would have continued. But civilians? Like, how were Truman and others not charged with war crimes? Seriously. Uh, strongly guessing they weren't charged because we won the war. Had we lost? Oh, for sure. For sure, they're war criminals. Uh, the Japanese were already talking surrender, by the way, when those bombs were dropped. Uh, the Hiroshima bombing also caused wide-scale radiation poisoning, and the actress uh, Midori Naka, present during the bombing, was studied extensively for radiation poisoning. Her death in 1945 was the first to be officially documented as having been caused by radiation poisoning or radiation sickness. At the time, this radiation poisoning was referred to as atomic bomb disease. Her hair fell out days after the bombing. Purple patches develop on her skin. Uh, her death receives widespread publicity, and the dangers of radiation first become uh, you know, known to the general population of the world. August 1st, 1946, uh, President Harry S. Truman signs the Atomic Energy Act. Its purpose is to control the development and production of nuclear weapons and to direct the research and development of peaceful uses of nuclear energy. December 25th, the Soviet Union achieves its first nuclear chain reaction in Moscow. Also in 1946, two scientists from the USA die after working with fissile materials without using protective clothing or shielding. And, uh, and before we continue with our nuclear timeline, let's, let's have, hear, hear a quick word from today's sponsor. Time Suck is brought to you once again by Chikatilo's Wrestling Academy. At Chikatilo's Wrestling Academy, students of all ages but mostly teens are instructed in all manner of Chikatilo pelvic-based wrestling techniques. Limp pelvic thrusts, groin shame shimmies, clenched buttock wiggles, communist cock slaps, all patented Chikatilo wrestling moves for both self-defense and sexual pleasure. So use the promo code TIMESUCK at checkout and get 30% off an eight-week lesson package. And if you're still on the fence, listen to the man himself. Hello. I'm under Chikatilo. I'm excited for you to take a wrestling lesson. I overcome many things in Ukraine, including a Chernobyl disaster. And I give you nuclear-level knowledge of fighting. In my class, you learn nipple bites. You learn to take clothes off and cover yourself in blood, add terror to defense. You learn penis-fast face slap to gain a psychological edge on the kid, I mean attacker. I also offer one-on-one -on -one coaching. I, I prefer it. Meet me in woods for one-on-one -on -one wrestling and for lesson also. What is big deal? You'll learn in woods. I hope to see you soon. Purchase in the next 10 days, and you'll also get a free, what is big deal, Chikatilo water bottle, complete with a straw incapable of ever standing up straight, that you have to vigorously tug on to get your drink on. 
No, that is not today's sponsor. That's Lucifina tricking me into saying the most vile things imaginable. Be gone, Lucifina. Enough of your dark jokes. No. Today's Time Suck is brought to you by Lisa. <laughs> Driven by a, a mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody, Lisa is an innovative, direct-to-consumer online mattress brand that is also, uh, unlike Chikatilo's Wrestling Academy, totally socially conscious. Forget Chikatilo, remember Lisa. For every 10 mattresses Lisa sells, they donate one to a shelter through their 110 program. They plant one tree for every mattress sold, donate 1% of each employee's time to volunteer for local causes. Most importantly, they make kick-ass mattresses. Numerous time suckers are already sleeping on, myself included. They have a patented universal adaptive feel featuring three premium foam layers, including a 2-inch Avena foam top layer for cooling and breathability, a 2-inch memory foam middle layer for body contouring and pressure relief, and a 6-inch dense uh, core support foam for durability and structure, which works for sleepers of all sizes. So try Lisa Mattress in your own home for 100 nights risk-free, available in the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Germany online with free shipping. This 100% American-made mattress ships compressed in a box right to your door. Or try it at the Lisa Dream Gallery in Soho, New York City, and Virginia Beach, and over 80 West Elm stores nationwide. Get $125 off and a free pillow when you go to Lisa, L-E-E-S-A, dot com slash time suck okay back to some nuke shit uh august 29 1949 soviet union detonates its first atomic bomb joe one in kazakhstan it is a copy of the fat man bomb from uh, the u.s dropped in japan has a yield of 21 kilotons and then out in the desert 18 miles southeast of arco idaho on december 20th 1951 the small experimental breeder reactor one becomes the world's first electricity producing reactor when it generates sufficient electricity to power four 200 watt light bulbs. Yeah, Idaho. First day to power anything with nuclear electricity, motherfuckers. So suck on that. You suck on that. However, the small reactor was just built to prove theoretical concepts and was never intended to be used for commercial use, and it was quickly uh, shut down and dismantled. All right, well, Idaho had a brief moment of glory. I still am excited about it. Uh, June 26, 1954, at Obinsk, Russia, the nuclear power plant APS-1 with a net electrical output of 5 megawatts was connected to the power grid, the world's first nuclear power plant that generated electricity for commercial use. Now, there are currently approximately 447 nuclear reactors in use in over 30 different nations with over 60 more currently under construction. Uh, September 30th, 1954, the USS Nautilus, the first American nuclear-powered submarine, is launched. They had shrunken the tech down enough to get a small nuclear reactor inside a submarine, which is great for a sub's ability to remain underwater and go out and be out at sea for long periods of time with no need for refueling. Uh, also terrible for people in a sub if a meltdown occurs, uh, which we will mention in a second. On December 30th, 1958, an accident occurs in the Los Alamos plutonium processing facility that would cement the dangers of radiation. Uh, Cecil Kelly, an experienced chemical operator, uh, was working with a large mixing tank. The solution in the tank was supposed to be lean, typically less than 0.1 grams of plutonium per liter. However, the concentration on that day was actually 200 times higher. When Kelly switched on the stir, the liquid in the tank formed a vortex, and the plutonium-containing uh, layer went critical, releasing a huge burst of neutrons and gamma radiation in a pulse that lasted a mere 200 microseconds. Uh, Kelly, who had been standing on a, on, on a ladder, a foot ladder, peering into the tank through a viewing window, fell or was knocked to the floor 
By this quick flash, two other operators on duty saw a bright flash, heard a dull thud, quickly they rushed to help and found Kelly incoherent and saying only, I'm burning up, I'm burning up. He was rushed to the hospital, semi-conscious, retching, vomiting, hyperventilating, I'm guessing spontaneously bleeding. And at the hospital, uh, Kelly's bodily uh, excretions were sufficiently radioactive enough to give a positive reading on a radiation detector. And sadly, he does not turn into Dr. Manhattan. Two hours after the accident, his condition seems to improve. He regains coherence. And then, uh, however, uh, it, it becomes clear very soon that he would not survive long. Tests show that his bone marrow is destroyed. And the pain in his abdomen becomes difficult to control despite medication, and he dies 35 hours after the accident. Man. Uh, July 4th, 1961, the Russian nuclear sub K-19 develops a major leak in her reactor coolant system, causing the reactor temperature to rise to a very dangerous 800 degrees Celsius. Due to poor design and failure to have a backup cooling system installed, Captain Zetayev had no choice but to order a team of seven engineering officers and crew to undertake a repair despite lethal rates of radiation exposure. The repair crew was successful in stopping the leak. However, all seven were dead within a week. The incident contaminated the entire boat. Within a few years, 20 more crew members were dead. Their deaths attributed to the incident at sea. Man, how, how bad, bad is fucking following that order suck? Hey, man, get in there. Get, go grab that radioactive fucking stuff and stuff it back in the reactor. Get, it, get in there. Go seal it off. But I don't have the proper clothes. I, get in there. You'll be fine. Just take a shower afterwards. Uh, also on October 31st, 1961, uh, the USSR explodes the world's largest nuclear bomb with a yield of 58 megatons. They weren't about to let a little atomic poisoning stop some new weapons testing. Uh, 1970, uh, Pripyat is founded on February 4th as the ninth nuclear city of the Soviet Union. It's a closed city. You had to be authorized to live in or visit. See, they would have these closed cities. Where it's not, it's not like you could just go, you know, uh, on a on a country drive and drive through a Pripyat. Uh, you had to have authorization to be there. August fifteenth, nineteen seventy two, construction begins on the Chernobyl power plant near Pripyat. Uh, the first Chernobyl reactor is completed in nineteen seventy seven, followed by a second reactor in nineteen seventy eight, third in eighty one, and a fourth in eighty three. And each reactor could produce one thousand megawatts of electricity, and the plant produced ten percent of all of the Ukraine's electrical needs. September 9th, 1982, a partial core meltdown occurs in reactor number one. The extent of the accident was not made public until 1985. The reactor was repaired, put back into operation within months. No one, uh, th- th- you know, that we know of was harmed in that incident. And, and for the most part, everything goes really well at Chernobyl until April 25th, 1986. Now, a few days earlier, uh, a few days, you know, like uh, April 20th, 21st, 22nd, right around there, reactor number four had been scheduled for maintenance. And to test, uh, you know, the ability of the reactor's turbine generator to generate sufficient amount of electricity to power the reactor safety systems in case of like an emergency blackout. Like if all the power went down for any reason, could this turbine generator keep the safety systems on? Well, on April 25th, all the required conditions had been met in order to run the test, and the reactor uh, electricity output was gradually reduced to 50% of reactor capabilities. And then suddenly, uh, and totally unexpectedly, the regional power station that supplied the area with electricity went offline. The Kiev power grid controller ordered postponement, postponement of further reduction of output because electricity was needed to satisfy the evening peak demand. The test was postponed, put in the hands of the night shift of the plant, and the night shift operators had very little experience in nuclear power plants because the majority of them had been brought over for some uh, coal-powered plants. That sounds bad. Like I have no experience uh, working in, in nuclear power or, <laughs> or any other kind of power job, but I, I feel like any type of systems test – uh, should be completed by a team with a lot of experience making sure, you know, that the plant doesn't melt down. 
Just you know, it just feels like, hey, Sergei, uh, we can't complete uh, the plant safety test right now. Uh, should we not wait until tomorrow? Uh, no, no, no. Put Homer Simpson and beat him on it immediately. What, what could go wrong? Well, at 11 p.m., the grid controller in Kiev gave permission to continue the procedure, and so the power output of reactor number four needed to be reduced to 0.7 down to uh, between 0.7 and 1 gigawatts in order to conduct the test at the prescribed lower power level. But the real problem was that the new crew wasn't aware of the prior postponement. Uh, they weren't prepared, uh, like aware that, that the power had already been reduced. I don't know. They didn't somehow check the right fucking meters, I guess. They didn't realize that the power wasn't running at normal levels. And, and they followed the original t- test protocol, which results in power level and a power level decrease to unacceptable levels. Right. So uh, because of this, the late shift uh, reduced the power to about a third of the minimum necessary required uh, power to complete the experiment. And out of the ignorance, the crew continued with the experiment. Now, reading this, it, it, it does feel like these guys worked at the Springfield nuclear power plant uh, from The Simpsons. And at about 1.05 a.m. in the early morning of April 26, water pumps that should have been driven by the turbine were turned on. And this increased the water flow beyond what is specified in safety protocol measures. At 1.23 and four seconds, the fatal experiment begins. The unstable state of the reactor uh, wasn't shown on, control, on the control panel, so cr- the crew wasn't aware of the danger that was threatening them. The turbine was disconnected from the reactor. The water pumps were cut off. Uh, the ener- energy supply, which resulted in the increased level of steam in the center of the reactor and the temperatures as well. So pockets of steam now form in the voids and the coolant lines. 26 seconds later, 12340 operators pressed the AZ-5 button that orders the shutdown of reactor in case of emergency, fully inserting all control rods, including the manual control rods that have been pulled out earlier. When all else, when all else fails, grab some rods and shove them in some holes. Uh, but the slow speed of the, of the control rod insertion mechanism and some flawed rod design did, uh, did the opposite by increasing the reaction rate. Seven seconds later, reactor power jumps to almost 30 gigawatts, which is 10 times more than usual. This causes the fuel rods to melt. A rapid increase of steam pressure builds up, and then a large steam explosion uh, destroys the reactor lid, ruptures the coolant tubes, blows off part of the roof, and I'm guessing caused at least one technician to shit themselves. Uh, the steam blast kills uh, two technicians. Part of the roof, roof blows off. A graphite fire uh, be, breaks out. It's the result of a reaction between the inrush of oxygen from the, from the air with the extremely high temperature of the reactor and the graphite moderator that was placed on the control rod ends. The graphite fire was the main cause of radioactive, uh, the radioactive cloud spread to further areas, took days to extinguish. And, 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 and now, if the, if the past few minutes of exposition came across as a lot of fucking scientific mumbo-jumbo to you, you're not alone. I, I edited and rewrote that part probably six times. <laughs> and not having a degree in uh, nuclear science, it doesn't matter how many times you do. There's a part of me that's like, what the fuck are you talking about? So let me simplify. Uh, essentially what happened was some science people who weren't qualified to run a very important test did so anyway. Right? It was like, yeah, yeah, just go ahead. And, and they did it at the wrong time. Right? To go forward with the test uh, was, it was a muy mal idea. Uh, very bad. They went forward anyway. Some nuke shit got way too hot. It got too hot to then cool down. Bunch of red lights probably started flashing. Sirens are going off. Bunch of Russians in hazmat suits running around like Benny Hill. Just it's fucking pandemonium. And then blammo, big explosion. Just oh shit, you know, uh, followed by a big fire and just so much more panic. And during the panic, a lot of radiation going out into the atmosphere. A lot of people being like, we, we're going to get in so much fucking trouble for this. Uh, the Soviets wait a full day before evacuating the people of Pripyat because they're assholes. They don't evacuate until April 27th. In total, about 350,000 people would be evacuated from contaminated areas near the reactor in the days following the meltdown. 
Uh, despite the health risks, the Soviet Union initially had no intention of relaying to the rest of the world what had happened in Chernobyl. But on April 28th, Swedish monitoring stations reported abnormally high levels of wind-transported radioactivity, pressed the Soviets for an explanation. They admit that there had been an accident in Chernobyl, and the world, especially the world of Eastern Europe, freaked the fuck out. It became the uh, number one breaking story pretty much everywhere. Uh, in the weeks that followed the meltdown, 134 firemen and employees are hospitalized with ARS, acute radiation syndrome. 28 of those people die. At least 14 more die from radiation-induced cancer before 1996. And the endless speculation of the real damage done by Chernobyl is in full swing. Accounts vary widely over how many people were affected and or have died due to the meltdown. According to UN agencies' estimations, uh, a further number of, of 4,000 to 9,000 people died from the consequences of this disaster – whose overall radiation level was estimated to be around the level of 400 atomic bombs like the one thrown on Hiroshima. The ecosystem near the reactor was so badly hit that the trees within four square miles of the nearby forest changed their color, some color between the brown and purple, and would later be called by the BBC the Red Forest. God knows how many animals died or lost the ability to reproduce. And now that we've made it through the blast, let's hop out of this timeline to discuss uh, the repercussions in more detail of this tragic event. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. When it comes to the effects of Chernobyl, let me just start by restating that experts can't and will never agree on the true extent of the damage caused. And we'll never be able to actually find out conclusively. Uh, a, a few years after the meltdown, John Giddis of the Royal Academy of Engineering told the UK government there could eventually be around 10,000 fatalities worldwide from this disaster. Uh, a study announced back in 2005 by the World Health Organization said a total up to 4,000 people could eventually die of radiation exposure from Chernobyl. Now, this is a study conducted by an international team of more than 100 scientists. But as of mid-2005... Uh, fewer than 50 deaths had been directly attributed to radiation from the disaster, almost all uh, you know, being highly exposed rescue workers, many who died within months of the accident, but others who died as late as 2004. Environmentalist group Greenpeace back in 2006 attributed nearly 100,000 deaths and a quarter of a million cancer cases to Chernobyl. And, and that report wasn't written by 10 hippies uh, sitting in a drum circle you know, working on aligning their spirit rhythms uh, on some mountaintop. No, it was conducted by a team of 52 scientists hired by Greenpeace, and the study was based primarily on Belarus's national cancer statistics. The report concluded, amongst other findings, that on the basis of demographic data, between 1991 and 2006, 60,000 people uh, have additionally died in Russia because of the Chernobyl accident, and estimates of the total death toll for Ukraine and Belarus could eventually reach another 140,000. Right. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're thinking up to 200,000 deaths could be attributed eventually. Uh, Finland was one of the most heavily affected countries, uh, you know, affected by the radioactive fallout. And, and another group of scientists and medical researchers analyzed the relation of the estimated external radiation exposure from the fallout to cancer incidents in Finland between 1988 and 2007. The study comprised uh, all 3.8 million Finns who had lived in the same dwelling for 12 months following the accident. Uh, their analysis, you know found that uh, there was not uh, a noticeable increase in cancer incidents following the Chernobyl accident, with the possible exception of colon cancer amongst women 
rising slightly. Now, this is important to note, man. This study didn't get a lot of media attention, uh, really any. I had to find it in some old medical journal from the U.S. National Library of Medicine and the National Institute of Health, but it reports the increase of cancer compared to pre-Chernobyl levels. A lot of other studies just list the total amount of cancer cases since Chernobyl hit, which is completely meaningless fucking statistics. That's completely meaningless data. You got to know the baseline, like how much cancer was already occurring previous to Chernobyl, and then how much cancer occurred afterwards. And, and if it's a negligible difference, then you can't really blame the meltdown on, on, the, ex, on, the, on the new cancer cases. You know, and it's tricky because you know, cancer affects you know, uh, slash kills so many people already. One study I came across said that roughly 20,000 – sorry, 20%, 20% of just all people in general on earth uh, will die from cancer. So, so when you're looking at a population of roughly 5 million people in the most heavily hit area around Chernobyl, you have to already attribute, you know, 1 million deaths to cancer of some sort, you know, uh, as opposed to dying of natural causes or anything else, you know. Uh, it sounds like so much, but I found another stat that said 38.5% of people will be diagnosed with some form of cancer at some point in their life. So when you're trying to determine how much cancer Chernobyl caused, you have to look at statistic, you know, uh, like a significant Statistical increase. You have to find that above an already gigantic number. And, and even then, you have to then rule out uh, other variables. You know, do, do people living in the fallout areas smoke more than they used to? Do they have a higher percentage of jobs that put them in contact with other carcinogens than they used to? Do they live in more urban areas with more air pollution than people used to? Do they, do they drink more radiation water? Do they wear more radiation condoms? Do they sit in more radioactive sandboxes than they used to? But seriously, it's super complex. And, and what was the total area that may have been affected anyway? Uh, during the 10-day period of maximum release from, from Chernobyl, volatile radionuclides uh, were continuously discharged and dispersed among many parts of Europe and later the entire northern hemisphere. For example, relatively high fallout concentrations were measured at Hiroshima in Japan over 8,000 kilometers from Chernobyl. Most radiation was deposited in areas uh, near the reactor, although some hot particles – were transported thousands of kilometers away. The largest concentrations of volatile nuclides and fuel particles occurred in Belarus, Russia, and Ukraine, which makes sense because that's right where it happened. Uh, but more than half of the total quantity of Chernobyl's volatile inventory was deposited outside of those countries. So a lot of it made it, you know, many, 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 many miles, many kilometers away. Uh, extensive surveying of Chernobyl's uh, cesium-37 contamination was carried out in the 1990s under the auspices of the European Commission. The results indicated uh, that about 3,900,000 square kilometers of Europe was contaminated to various degrees by cesium-137, which is 40% of the surface area of Europe. So in terms of surface area, uh, Belarus and Austria were most affected by higher levels of contamination. However, other countries were seriously affected. More than 5% of Ukraine, Finland, and Sweden were contaminated so statistically or too statistically dangerous levels, more than 80% of Moldova, the European part of Turkey, uh, Slovenia, Switzerland, Austria, Slovak Republic were contaminated as well. 44% of Germany, 34% of the UK were similarly affected. In terms of total uh, deposi deposition or you know, total you know, depositing of cesium-137, Russia, Belarus, and Ukraine received the highest amounts of fallout, while former Yugoslavia, Finland, Sweden, Bulgaria, Norway, Romania, Germany, Austria, Poland, each received, received more than one uh, uh, petabecurel um, uh, of cesium-137, a very large amount of radioactivity. So again, a lot of the world affected to some degree by radiation, which may have created a lot of extra cancer or almost no extra cancer outside the immediate fallout zone. Right? Again, so hard to determine, uh, you know, 
who truly was affected by this. But let's talk about that zone. Let's talk about this zone right around it. There's still an area of roughly 1,000 square miles around Chernobyl, which is uninhabitable. It's called the exclusion zone or the zone of alienation. And while you can't move there, uh, you can visit. I had no idea that was a thing. I swear to God, you could take a tourist trip to Chernobyl uh, right now if you, if you get your permits in order. Or you, or you can you know visit all around the area of Chernobyl. And this area even has a hotel. The hotel is the only place for explorers of the zone to stay in, and its staff are only allowed to work on a strict rotation of 15 days in the zone and then 15 days outside to keep radiation levels to a minimum. Uh, Workers inside the zone live in basic dormitories uh, in the town of Chernobyl. (laughs) What the fuck? How hard up for a job are you when you apply to work uh, at a hotel inside the exclusion zone of Chernobyl? Jesus. Like, if you hate your job, be thankful you don't have that one. If you don't have a job, be thankful you don't have that one. Holy shit. Uh, another uh, roughly 5,000 people still work inside the exclusion zone, mostly sentry guards, uh, also workers on this massive new sarcophagus built to kind of like protect, kind of encase uh, the old reactor so it doesn't spread any more radiation, radiation in the future. Uh, there's firemen protecting the still volatile area from deadly forest fires. Man, uh, service staff for the workers, like the hotel staff, other workers, you know, work on that rotation pattern 15 days in, 15 days out keeps the radiation levels manageable. Uh, Every visitor coming out of the exclusion zone goes through a radiation screening at each checkpoint. If your levels are too high, clothes and boots are either washed or left behind. Taking anything out of Chernobyl is forbidden. Tour guides uh, are checked regularly and say they don't receive (laughs) anywhere near the annual levels of radiation uh, deemed too dangerous. Uh, One tourist, YouTuber, BioNerd23, she has a bunch of videos online, uh, has vid- visited the exclusion zone many times and has posted videos of herself. I've watched a bunch of them uh, doing things like eating apples from apple trees, just you know, very close to the reactor. And, and so far, she, uh, she appears to be very healthy. And, and Pripyat wasn't the only town inside the zone, by the way. I mentioned uh, Chernobyl itself. There's the town of Chernobyl. This is the town that has the hotel. And a small number of people uh, were allowed to move back to this town after the meltdown. There's about 180 uh, mostly older residents living full-time in the zone. They were able to return to their ancestral village despite warnings from the Ukrainian government, which, which has now largely allowed them just to return to their homes to die in peace. You can watch a documentary about these people if you want called The Babushka of Chernobyl. And, and Chernobyl is less than 15 miles from the former power plant, man. Uh, tying this a bit to last week, in the latter half of the 18th century, it had a large Hasidic Jewish population. In 1898, 70% of the 10,000 people living in Chernobyl were Jewish. Then World War II hit, and the Nazis killed all of them. So the reactor meltdown. Not even the worst thing to happen to this town in a 50-year period. And, and scientists say the zone will continue to be camp- contaminated by the radiation from the disaster for about 300 years more. Uh, for the next 300 years, it's still going to be unfit for, for human life. But yeah, these people are living there. And you know what? They don't, they don't, look, they don't look like fucking toxic Avengers. I saw you know, uh, a little trailer for that documentary, and they seem, they seem to look normal. You know, They look like old Russian people, old Ukrainian people. Uh, yeah, and, and – Ironically, also you can find videos of inside the contamination zone, and it is full of life. Strangely, the exclusion zone has basically become a wildlife refuge. At first, wildlife populations in the immediate area of the meltdown plummeted in one area of forest covering between four and five square kilometers. Many coniferous trees died, right? Like we talked about earlier, the, the, the red forest, the dying needles turning rusty red. Uh, in that first year, the most contaminated areas, uh, many soil and vertebrates like worms and bugs and shit uh, were killed. Small man- mammal population plummeted. However, in large areas of the exclusion zone, radiation levels dropped dramatically within months and wildlife began to bounce back, taking advantage of the absence of people. 
In the mid-1990s, a team of U.S. and Ukrainian ecologists set up traps to explore how small mammals were responding, and they caught a range of voles, mice, and shrews. Uh, They found that the abundance of animals and the diversity of species was more or less identical both inside and outside the exclusion zone. So in other words, within 10 years of this disaster, the small mammal population is apparently showing no ill effects from radiation. Between 2008-2010, they surveyed hundreds of kilometers of animal trackways to assess population densities of elk, wolf, wild boar, deer, foxes. They found that track densities were similar to those recorded at four radiation-free nature reserves in Belarus. If anything, wolves specifically are faring better at Chernobyl than other reserves. The data suggests that they might be seven times as abundant there as in other local kind of uh, forests. They set up motion-activated camera traps in the exclusion zone as part of an ongoing project to better understand the risk to humans and to wildlife associated with exposure to radioactivity. And, and they found evidence of beavers, badgers, lynx, bison, even a brown bear made an appearance. Uh, other studies have not been quite so positive. Another study published in 2009 suggested insects and spiders are less abundant in areas of the exclusion zone where radiation levels are high. To me, sounds like the fucking perfect place to camp. Sounds like, I, you know, I need to take a little camping trip uh, to a little nuke zone, right? Are you kidding me? Less bugs, more wildlife. Sounds like a good place to hunt, right? Maybe your deer gets an extra head on it. That's a little more meat. Get a little more neck meat on your nuke deer. Let's pour a little nuke sauce around Yellowstone. Let's pour a little nuke sauce up in Glacier. I'm sick of the fucking bugs ruining my camping trips. I want to see some critters, but I don't want to get eaten alive by other smaller annoying critters that maybe we could just kind of nuke out of existence. Uh, There are even an abundance of catfish living in the cooling ponds of the Chernobyl reactors. (laughs) That BioNerd23 posted a video of these online, and I I couldn't find one with even two heads. I I looked at some 2016 National Geographic photos of Chernobyl, and again, no multi-headed mutants, no thread foxes, nothing. Just a bunch of normal-looking, very healthy animals. In fact, when you do a Google image search for Chernobyl mutant animals, pics of two-headed creatures and deformed children do come up. But the source for most of them is a website called ChernobylGuide.com, and it looks to me to be 100% wackadoodle. looks to be total clickbait. Uh, The pics don't have sources. Uh, Most of the kids in the pics don't even look Russian. Uh, It looks to be a, a lot of horseshit. But, but I assume that a lot of people see these pics in an image search, you know, and they're just like, oh, God, the fucking – those poor new kids with their two heads. That's the world we live in now, right? You just – you just people, a lot of people just look, oh, it's Jesus, and they do no digging past the, the credit on the, <laughs> on the image and just think that it must be true. Uh, I also find this extremely interesting. Some Chernobyl experts have claimed that unsubstantiated fear of radiation poisoning has actually led to, to greater suffering than the actual disaster itself. For example – Many doctors throughout Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union advised pregnant women to undergo abortions to avoid bearing children with birth defects or other disorders, uh, though the actual level of radiation exposure these women experience probably far too low to cause real problems, right? Plenty of these people had kids, uh, didn't abort, and m- overwhelmingly the majority of these kids are totally fine. Uh, so those are the facts. Radiation, bad for you in high amounts, lethal in really high amounts, spontaneous bleeding, very bad. Environmental impact of Chernobyl, uh, more cancer been caused for sure, but very unclear as to how much. For non-human mammals, the benefit of the relocation of humans seems to have outweighed the harmful effects of radiation, and they're thriving. But who cares about facts? Who gives a shit about facts when you have the entertaining, uh, you know, strongly felt opinions of the idiots of the internet? I found a video today called uh, Chernobyl Mutations, 
posted by YouTuber Paul Estrada, and, and it's full of tons of disturbing images, pictures of kids missing limbs, kids dying of cancer, people with all sorts of various mutations. Uh, but again, how many of these victims can have their diseases con- conclusively linked to Chernobyl? I mean, not, not to sound like a dick, but I could go visit various group homes and oncology wards of any city in the United States, in the fucking world, and, and put together a similar group of pictures, right? It's just, it's just tragic. It's always tragic, but it doesn't necessarily link it to Chernobyl. Um, and this stuff happens continuously across the world, mutations, you know, horrible deaths, uh, whether or not a meltdown ever occurred. U- user James Spillane shares my sentiments, posting, crikey. Do you not think to check if these photos are where some guys on YouTube says they're from? All of those mutations have been documented from photos showing people from all over the world with exposure to radiation. Of course it was a disaster, but try getting your facts right before sending inane, two-dimensional, heartfelt, sorry bullshit. I love that he actually wrote Crikey. Reminds me of the croc hunter Steve Irwin. Crikey! She's a beauty! Crikey! Would you look at the teeth on that one? Crikey! I wonder if I should stop fucking about with dangerous animals before it's too late. Crikey! Stingray! Crikey! Uh, user Cam posts some silly uh, social justice warrior bullshit, just some feel-good nonsense, saying, Just shut down the nuclear power plants, and then all caps, It's not that hard! So many exclamation points. Frowny, concerned frowny face with a furrowed brow. Uh, only acceptable to post if this dipshit is 12 years old or younger. Uh, not that hard? Are you ready to live without electricity there, numbnuts? Y- you do realize that we won't be able to access YouTube without it, right? You do realize that nuclear power plants do more uh, than create just nuclear waste. Do you understand that? That's that's where the word power comes into play. And and we kind of need it to make our world work. So there is that. Uh, User It's Just Blaze posts something that may or may not be just trolling, saying, so fuck it, just kill them to end ours and their misery. Wow, that that post would have been dark uh, already, but much less dark if you just didn't include ours. Put these mutants out of their misery. I mean, that's a pretty fucked up call for you to make, but, but way more fucked up when you had and mine. Put them out, out of my misery, the misery I endure from having to see pictures of people I don't like knowing are alive. That's how I feel the misery. What a fucking sociopath. Uh, user Lori Smith apparently believes everything she sees and hears on the web, uh, proving this by posting, and Russia, a superpower, denies their existence while warehousing these children? Human rights doesn't exist in their vernacular. What the fuck are you talking about? Not, not even extremist watchdog Greenpeace thinks this is going on, right? No, they're, not, they're not warehousing mutant children to hide the effects of Chernobyl from the, from the world, right? Why would anyone do that? If someone is so evil to warehouse mutant kids to hide from the world, why not just kill them? They would have to be a, a, a very unique combination of very evil and also very dumb. To be like, you know, no, we're, we're going to take all these mutant kids. We're going to put them in a warehouse out somewhere. So no one will know the, the secret. Why not just kill them? Because that's horrible. I'm not a monster. I'm not going to kill some mutant kids. I'm gonna, I mean, I'll put them in a fucking remote warehouse, hide them from the world, let them die there. But I'm not going to kill them. What are you, what are you talking about? Oh, man. Uh, I feel like this person, Lori, cries a lot about the shit she thinks is happening around the world. I've met too many people like that. People who live uh, just to learn about, wallow in, and share tragedy. Right? They just they define themselves with other people's tragedies. Right? It's like the type of, that type of person has gotten up and walked out of my stand-up comedy shows so many times over the years. Right? They just they can't handle something I've said. Uh, that, 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 I have no interest in ever spending any time with that kind of person ever again. Oh my gosh, Susan. Susan, do you hear about those poor Chernobyl kids? Russia's hiding them in warehouses right now. 
I just can't stand knowing that that's going on. For Pete's sake, why would those fudge nuggets hide them? Because they're toxic mutants, Susan. Because Chernobyl gave them three eyes and no legs. God bless America, it makes me so freaking angry. Gee willikers, corn nut, son of a bucket. Lori, why is Russia doing this? Are they really doing... Yes, Susan! Leaping lizards are doing it right now in some warehouse near Chernobyl. Go like a duck if you don't believe me. Lori, the area around Chernobyl has belonged to the Ukraine and Belarus, not Russian since 1991, you dumb bitch. Why do you believe this stupid shit, you mindless fuck? Don't call me anymore. Ah, uh, I wish you could play it like that. Uh, plenty to be outraged uh, about in the world uh, when you don't need facts to back up your rage. It can be a scary world, for sure. But it can be a much more terrifying world when you're an idiot of the internet. Idiots of the internet. I feel like if, uh, if the, the reviewer from earlier would have heard that last act out, she would have been very upset. Uh, she wouldn't have appreciated that little that little comedy uh, <laughs> moment there or lack of comedy moment. But yeah, yeah, just uh, you find those people all over the web. Like they just bounce from like tragic video to tragic video. Just, oh no. Oh my, how could that happen? Ugh. Okay, so that's what we learned. Chernobyl is very bad, but maybe not as bad as we've been led to believe. Nuclear power plants, uh, nuclear power plants, dangerous, fact, radiation sickness, horrific way to go out, fact. Uh, nuclear meltdown could end as, end life as we know it. Uh, not fact, necessarily. The Earth is pretty resilient. Within a few years, the area immediately surrounding the reactor in Chernobyl has become a fucking nature preserve. Did not expect that. Uh, now, that being said, mutations did occur. Ster- sterility did occur uh, Did occur in those animals. You know, this is not to be filed under the no big deal category. People did die. People are still dying from cancer that in all likelihood could be attributed to Chernobyl, but just maybe not as many as I expected to find out about. Uh, what I started wondering going through all of this is, is, is nuclear power more dangerous than other alternative energy sources? And, and here's what I found in an article published in the journal IE, an Irish digital news site. Speaking of Ireland, Ireland, excuse me, get those accents in now if you're going to play this week's uh, little space lizard game on the secret suck. Uh, the 2014 article claims that over 40% of the world's energy consumption comes from coal and that some 30,000 coal miners have died since 1970, more than in the production of any other energy source. So there's that. Environmentally, the pollutants produced by coal mining and coal burning also have detrimental effects on health. It can cause or increase the risk of a myriad of health concerns such as heart attack, asthma, lung cancer, uh, bronchitis, other respiratory conditions. The World Health Organization estimated in 2008 that pollution from coal particles uh, causes 1 million deaths yearly. Right, because some some countries with no regulations, they just put pop, just you know, like in China and some places where there's so much fucking pollution from that. Uh, fossil fuels currently produce almost 63 percent of the United States energy needs, producing roughly 2,500 billion kilowatt hours. Nuclear power gives us 20 percent of our overall all energy needs. Um, hydropower dams give us 7.5 percent of our power. Wind farms give us 6.3 percent. Solar uh, only gives us about 1.3 percent currently. Uh, To me, the real long-term danger with fossil fuels outside of environmental impact is limited availability. I mean, we're going to run out. Not going to happen with nuclear power, right? Uh, Well, not necessarily. We're actually estimated to run out of uranium to mine in about 200 years. Uh, However, we're set to run out of fossil fuels by most estimates within 150 years. So another slight edge to nuclear power over fossil fuel power in, in my eyes. When it comes to the dangers of nuclear power, the perceived threat may be greater than the actual threat. So far, the only large-scale nuclear power plant meltdowns have been Fukushima and Chernobyl. But what about hydropower? 
right? What about that? Well, most usable sites in developed nations, most, you know, rivers already have dams in place and, uh, and the earth isn't making any more rivers. So while that process can get slightly more efficient over time, not feasible for hydroelectric power to fuel the future's energy needs. So sorry, water, you're fucking, you're out. Uh, what about wind power? I Googled, uh, can wind power be enough energy for the whole world? And my laptop punched me in the dick and told me to grow the fuck up. Uh, currently, one giant windmill uh, having wind farm could provide enough energy to power the entire planet if that wind farm was twice the size of the entire state of Alaska. And that farm would have to be in a very windy area. It couldn't just be anywhere. So, you know, wind doesn't look to be able to provide anything but extra power in addition to other you know, sources going forward. It doesn't look like it can never be a widespread kind of primary source of power. So, you know, get out of here, wind. You're out. Uh, so then, then I Googled, can solar energy power the whole world? And my laptop uh, ripped my balls off, said, you clearly don't need these. Then it gave me a hacky sack, told me to go do that instead, think about pretty things, and then it shut itself down. However, fuck my redneck dickhead computer because in terms, uh, it turns out solar power does appear to be key to the energy needs of the future. An MIT study revealed that today's solar panel technology is all that is needed to supply the world with many terawatts of clean solar power by 2050. The MIT researchers suggest that crystalline silicon photovoltaic technology of today will remain viable and relevant in the future. While further research may improve solar panel efficiency, we do have all the tools we need right now, according to the study, to supply all of the world's energy needs. Right? There's a ton of room for technological improvement in increasing solar panels' efficiency when it comes to harvesting the sun's natural energy. Man, the sun! The Egyptians worshipped it thousands of years ago, and it may be the key to our future survival. Because let's be honest, who wants to live you know, without electricity now? Uh, to me, uh, I think we just got we to harvest Nimrod's eyes, man. Get this fucking sun eyes going. Harvest the power of Nimrod. Hell, Nimrod! Uh, to me, the real na- danger with nuclear power isn't uh, with energy. It's with weapons. Right, and I think pretty much everyone is in agreement with that. There's a website you called nuclearsecrecy.com/nukemap, uh, where you can enter your city and find out how many people would die if a nuclear bomb hit it. You pick a city, uh, pick from uh, a variety of existing nuclear weapons, find out how many people die from the initial fireball, from the air blast, from thermal radiation. You can decide if the bomb hits, you know, like uh, makes uh, impact with the Earth or explodes over the Earth. At various you know altitudes. So, for example, if a, if a hundred megaton SAR bomb, bomb of this Russian n- nuclear weapon hit San Francisco and land like you know made impact on the Earth, it would kill an estimated one million five hundred and fifty nine thousand one hundred and ten people, with an additional one million two hundred thirty five thousand sixty injuries. Now, if that same bomb hit Tokyo in the same way, almost twelve million dead, with almost another ten million injuries. Uh, one of these bombs hits my home of Coeur d'Alene. I, I put, put that in there too. Fucking all of us are dead. Like this entire area is just gone. It's insane. So coal, hydroelectric, wind, solar, none of those energy means carry the same potential side effect as far as the weaponry. You know, no no one's going to be using solar power technology to create a solar bomb that's going to wipe out 12 million people in Tokyo. Okay. All right. Enough energy talk today. My brain hurts from all these big words. Let's take a peek back at Chernobyl with today's top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, radiation comes in many forms, and science radiation falls on a spectrum of electromagnetic radiation. Long wavelengths are things like radio waves. Light is somewhere in the middle. Small lengths like alpha, beta, and gamma rays are emitted from radioactive isotopes. They can penetrate your cells and destroy your DNA. Of course, these rays exist all around us all the time. We're all experiencing some level of radiation. It's the amount that is the issue. Number two. 
A radium company in New Jersey offered $1,000 to anyone who could prove that its certified radioactive water sold under the brand name Radithor did not contain the large amount of radium and thorium it claimed to in the 1920s and 1930s. Alas, Radithor was a real thing. No one ever claimed the prize. Radithor did claim at least one life, that of well-known industrialist Playboy, three bottle a day, Radithor user Evan Byers. And again, his gruesome death in 1932 inspired the Wall Street Journal headline, The Radium Water Worked Fine Until His Jaw Came Off. Number three, the forest around Chernobyl is not teeming with three-headed deer or even eight-legged Norse spider horses. But it is teeming with wildlife, including more wolves than surrounding Eastern European forests and even brown bears and healthy-looking catfish in the reactor cooling ponds. Number four, a few hundred people still live within a few miles of the meltdown, and I've watched some of their interviews, and they seem to be fine. I've actually seen more rugged-looking people uh, right here in Idaho uh, at the grocery store. Number five, new info. Despite settling or setting uh, a 19-mile exclusion zone and building a huge concrete sarcophagus to cover the melted-down and still radioactive Unifor reactor, officials kept three reactors operating in the wake of the aftermath. Nearly 14 years altogether. At the time of the incident, a fifth and sixth reactor, uh, fifth and sixth reactor units were under construction. Those projects were quickly halted, but units one, two, and three kept producing power. The last unit, unit three, operated until the year 2000, when international negotiations finally shut down the plant for good. Why? They needed the electricity. Man, how much would it suck to be told you still had to go back to work the day after the meltdown? Uh, hello, Alexei. I'm so glad you make it alive from explosion yesterday and not feeling sick from radiation. I have good news. Uh, you will not lose good uh, paying a nuclear plant job. It may it take you many years to get. I, I also have bad news. I need you come in for double shift starting tonight. Y- uh, yes, plant still burning, uh, much radiation happening, trees turning red, uh, many animals dying. So wear uh, two jackets to be safe. And maybe bring lunch from home. Uh, plant cafe food, uh, how you say, a little sketchy at the moment. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Chernobyl sucked. Sucked so much nuke today. So much nuke, my jaw's going to fall off like that poor early 20th century radiation drinker. Now get out there and grab some tickets to my Flat Earth Tour. Hilarities in Cleveland, Ohio this weekend, all over the South in early April, Salt Lake City and more. So many shows up at dancummins.tv. Check out those dates. Snatch up some tickets. Thanks to Harmony Velikamp, Jesse Dobner, Lindsey Cummins, Josh Krell, the entire Timesuck team. Thanks to all the space lizards who voted in, uh, uh, voted in Chernobyl to be a subject uh, or a suck on the app. And, and thanks for all the reviews and spreading the suck, man. Post on social media, reference it on Reddit. Keep spreading that sweet, sweet suck. Every review helps. It helps so much. Next Monday's episode, it's a big one, talking about guns. And don't get triggered, pun intended. I'm not going heavy on either side, man. There's enough of that out there. There's enough people saying, you fucking, you fucking don't take them. There's enough people saying, fucking get them out of here. I'm not going to do either, either uh, uh, one of those things. All right? I'm not going to talk about how we have to get rid of them all. I'm not going to talk about how, like, we don't have to fucking change anything. I just want to present data and let you interpret it. Not claiming to have any answers, you know? Uh, I just want to give you as much unbiased info as I can because, you know, this is something in society we need to discuss like big boys and big girls. So fucking put your big boy pants on, pull up your big girl pants, and, uh, you know, don't, don't be a fucking baby about it. Uh, people get way too fucking sensitive about this issue. I hate it when people feel like there's something you just can't talk about. Then that's the thing we need to talk about the most. So much uh, emotion around it. So much uh, emotion just blocking logic. Uh, you know, 
So let's let's uh, let's just uh, learn about it. I'm curious, uh, you know. In full disclosure, I'm I'm a gun owner. I am just curious about uh, stats regarding this issue. I've I've heard people get real fired up about it my entire life, and uh, I'm ready to to unpuck in my butthole. And, uh, and I hope you are as well. And you can trust me. That's going to be good suck. And let's find out what you suckers have been up to. Uh, you know, with this week's time sucker updates. Updates. Get your time sucker updates. So much info on Chernobyl sent in by Time Suckers this past week. Uh, I love it, man. Getting ready for this episode. So we'll start with some of that, including uh, some of this to round out the Chernobyl presentation. First bit of uh, extra nuclear knowledge comes in from Jesse Latham. Super sucker. It's an excerpt from a longer email adding insight to the meltdown. And Jesse says, the operators begin the test. The reactor is meant to have 28 control rods fully inserted at all times. However, during the course of the test, it is discovered that only 18 of the required 28 have been inserted. Even after it is discovered, not enough control rods are inserted, and despite several alarming printouts from the computer calling for immediate shutdown, they continue on with the test, even shutting down two of the eight turbines meant to feed water back into the reactor. In fact, multiple backup safety features, including the emergency core cooling system, were shut down for the test. The RBMK reactor has a major design flaw called positive void coefficient, so as stated before, steam is produced by the boiling water heated by the fuel rods reaction. To put it as simply as I can, the explosion was caused by an increase in reactivity due to a decrease in the amount of control rods. The rate of reaction caused excess heat. Excess heat caused the turbines that feed the coolant water in the core to fail. The failure of the turbine prevents coolant to enter the core, which then even further increases the temperature, which then increases the rate of activity exponentially. The positive void refers to the empty space in the coolant the bubbles created when boiling water boils. And all these factors increase. So much steam is produced by the increasing hot boiling water. While this is happening, one of the operators present hits the emergency shutdown button, however, too late. Due to another one of the emergency systems shut down during the test, the emergency control rods fail to descend. And as the remaining fuel rods begin to descend simultaneously, the rods, which are tipped in a substance that does nothing to slow reaction rate, the fuel rods meant to descend to full 23 feet descend only uh, six and a half to eight feet, feet total before they stop. When the control rods stop, shockwaves felt throughout the entire plant. Because the rods were not fully inserted, the majority of the major backup safety systems were shut down. The exponentially increasing rate of reaction slash heat in the core causes the initial explosion in the reactor due to excessive levels of hydrogen mixed with the helium-nitrogen gas mixture already present in the reaction. This explosion causes the upper biological shield weighing 1,000 tons over the reactor to be blown up falls back down, further jamming any last hope of controlling the reaction when the shield dislodged and exposes part of the reactor core. Almost immediately following the first explosion, there is a second explosion which throws bits and chunks of graphite moderator blocks and control rods throughout the reactor room and surrounding land outside the plant itself. It also releases about 50 tons of evaporated nuclear fuel into the atmosphere. This has been great. Honored to help provide some knowledge to you and all the suckers out there, Jess. Man, thanks for that extra info. Man, again, I just pictured that Benny Hill music. I picture just, you know, just Russian, uh, you know, nuclear engineers just running around, like tripping over each other, just ah, fucking, you know, just screaming tears. Holy shit, man. A thousand ton shield blown up into the air and 50 tons of evaporated nuclear fuel thrown out of the atmosphere. Wow. What a huge lapse in judgment, you know, uh, those guys made. Whew. Uh, now, another time sucker update uh, about Chernobyl from, from Ailey. I believe I'm saying that right. A-I-L-E-Y. A- I I don't know that name very well. Uh, Ailey regarding how the evaporated radioactive fuel affected lives far away. 
And uh, Ellie says, hiya. This will be quick as I'm supposed to be working right now. Not listening to time suck. Love it. Work and wait. I just finished the latest one and heard the topic for next week at Chernobyl. I wanted to send some quick personal info. Places outside of the initial zone had some interesting consequences. My parents were living in Scotland, and at that time, my parents were always talking about how the, the year – that year, lots of d- dairy and meat products were contaminated and thrown away due to the meltdown. However, the bigger impact I'm personally aware of and connected to is my boyfriend. He's Finnish. I live in Finland now, and he was born soon after the meltdown. He was, he was diagnosed with leukemia within the first few months of his life. According to him, apparently a lot of children in Finland were uh, you know, uh, diagnosed with cancer after that. And as you know, Finland right next to Russia. After two years, he went into remission, hasn't shown any signs since, but still has to deal with some shit from that. And I, and I think it's something worth mentioning. That meltdown affected the world. And that's a warning that even the most selfish in the world should keep in mind during talks about nuclear energy. Anyways, just wanted to mention it. Thanks for this podcast. I've been struggling at a job I hate. And your podcast on my ride help, home helps so much to keep my spirits up. Oh, yay. Well, uh, I wish I could see you in my hometown of Salt Lake City, but maybe you'll make it to Helsinki someday. Uh, Ailey. I, well, I hope I do make it there. Thanks for uh, rocking the suck so far from Idaho. I'm honored. I uh, hope you get a better job soon. And and yes, we do need to think about uh, you know nuclear energy. Uh, again, I, I, I hope that it's just a temporary patch. I mean, clearly from, from what I read and uncovered, uh, solar seems to be the way to go going forward. And now another personal note on Chernobyl. This from Super Sucker Jake uh, says, hey, Dan, the time suck man. Uh, not sure where you're at with the Chernobyl suck, but I thought that you would find this interesting. My father-in-law's fiance was vacationing in Russia when Chernobyl happened. She doesn't talk about it often, but based on the few times that she's talked about it, she was on vacation with her first husband and at least four other couples. I don't know exactly how close she was, but they were close enough to be affected by the radiation. She's the only one still alive that was on that trip and has been battling cancer for the last 10 plus years. Everyone she was on vacation with died from cancer. She spent countless time and money trying to find a cure, and based on ten or based on different DNA-related tests she's done, recently they determined her cancer was definitely tied or is definitely tied to that terrible event. I wish I had more info for you, but it's a touchy subject for her, so it's not something she mentions often. I appreciate your podcast and comedy. Also grew up in a rural area, and your podcast has helped me open my eyes to the world around me. Thanks for what you do, Jake and Indy. Man, thank you, Jake and Indy. Uh, this touches on what I spoke about earlier, man. So hard to determine exactly who was affected by this event. Some studies say only 4,000 deaths. You know, not the only. It's a terrible amount. Others point to 100,000 or more. Who knows if the deaths you mentioned, uh, you know, were captured in any of these Chernobyl-related studies and statistics. Man, uh, and, and again, uh, you know, this really wants to make me invest in solar power for the future. Nuclear energy may be cleaner, uh, you know, in some ways than fossil fuel energy. But, man, neither comes close to being as safe as harnessing uh, sweet Nimrod's eye power. Uh, so now, a couple cool updates on last week's Belsky Brothers. The first very personal story, one of many I've heard that makes me really question how any reasonable person could deny the Holocaust. This is from uh, Chaim uh, Schaller. And Chaim says, uh, wow, just listen to the Belsky Brother episode. Uh, I've written it before, but right off the bat, I can tell you this may be long-winded. There are a few thoughts I need to share. As mentioned in my last email, I'm a religious Jew. I grew up in Pittsburgh where a number of Holocaust survivors lived, and they would occasionally come and talk at my school. I want to share two stories to further illustrate some of what you mentioned in the episode. The first man, Sam, was 12 and had gone to learn with one of his teachers. When he got home, had gone out to learn. His family was gone. He never saw his parents or siblings again. He escaped during one of those death marches you mentioned. As they were being herded through the woods, he and two friends broke out in a dead run. He eventually passed out from exhaustion and was found by Russian soldiers who saved him. When the war ended, he was 18 years old, almost six feet tall, and weighed less than 90 pounds. 
The second man, Jack, was liberated by the American Army. When they would liberate a concentration camp, the Army would bring in medical staff as well as food, blankets, and other provisions. It was generally a few days before trucks could then take them out of the camp, but many people did not leave on their own during this time. One night, an American soldier came across Jack and a few others attempting to dig a hole under the fence using spoons and their bare hands. The soldier asked Jack why they were doing this. The front gate was open. Jack responded that when you spend over four years being told daily that you will never walk out of this place alive, you treat that as gospel. It wasn't just our bodies that were imprisoned. It was also our minds. I've never understood why other minority groups dislike Jews so much. We came to this country looking for the same opportunities to make a better life for ourselves, to free ourselves from religious persecution as well as persecution based on skin color, sexual orientation, or political leanings. The Jewish holiday of Passover is coming up where we commemorate our exodus from Egypt. We mentioned during the Passover ceremony called a cedar how we have faced people in every generation attempting to wipe us out. I'm proud of my heritage. I'm proud of the way I was raised. For the most part, I think that racism and anti-Semitism come from a similar place which is fear and misunderstanding. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, Living in New York City and riding the subway, I've been threatened and called a fag Jew, but I've also had open, honest, and meaningful conversations with people that don't look like me or believe what I believe that I felt to be meaningful and real progress. I think what you do and what you bring to us each week is worth more than you or any of us can know at this stage, but bringing people together from all walks of life that are curious and want to learn and be better is such a powerful thing. Good on you. I'll repeat that I've been a fan for years, and it's a very cool feeling to respect and look up to you, especially with so much divisiveness and darkness in the world. Uh, we need more people in the public to be like you. This is a saying. There's a saying in the Talmud, which is one of our central texts, that when you save a life, it is though you saved the entire world. Hail Nimrod, praise Bojangles, and you. You keep on sucking. Ah, oh, that's beautiful, Heim. Heim Schaller. I think I'm saying that right. I'm trying to get a little better. Uh, thank you for sharing that wonderful story, man. Powerful stuff, brother. What an amazing community we have. You're right. I'm proud to be part of it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not easy for me, man. I get so judgy all the time. Well, it's the internet. You know, I get judgy on ignorant, ignorance, but I feel like I should. But just in general, man, I, I get why, you know, it's so hard for us all to kind of get along together. You know, it's like, it takes a lot of fucking effort. It's so easy to be like, you know what? Fuck those guys. <laughs> it's so easy to go there in your head. Uh, and yes, these stories, man, need to be continuously told forever. So people don't forget. So easy to forget the sins of our past. Just keep repeating them. That's my, my main goal with all this. I just want to not be as dumb. I'm just trying to be less dumb as I get older. Uh, now, interesting uh, language update regarding my judgment of the bookkeeper of Auschwitz referring to a Jewish child as it from an anonymous sucker. Uh, and a lot of people actually wrote in with his same update. Uh, this is anonymous sucker saying, here come the spoons, mother sucker. I love your stand up and the podcast for the record. Nazis were and are vile filth deserve to rot in the, <laughs> in the asshole of Bojangles for, for many eternities as possible, uh, for as many eternities as possible. That being said, in the interest of education and accuracy, I want to give you some insight into what could, uh, into what that monster from the death camps, not going to use his name could have used, like why he may have used the word it to describe a child. Besides the fact that he was a despicable piece of crap and deserves to suck the balls of Bojangles while Lucifina rams an, <laughs> an oversized spiked mace up his ass for eternity, without lube, of course. In the German language, there are three articles assigned to every noun. Uh, der, uh, which is masculine. Uh, D, feminine. Das, neutral. Interestingly, the articles used for the common words for children are as follows. Der for, uh, uh, der for younger, uh, for a boy. The pronoun used er, pronounced er, translates to he. Das for kind, uh, the pronoun S translates to it. Das is for uh, Mechen. The pronoun translates to it as to it as well. Uh, funny that it doesn't translate to he or she. 
So uh, I appreciate how much research you put into the suck and want you to be uh, accurate. So I thought I would send some info your way. Keep up the great work. Hope to catch one of your shows live someday, Anonymous. So thank you. Yeah, love, love that. Thank you very much. That's an interesting and important point regarding translation in general, man. Language B doesn't always have a perfectly corresponding word for a term from language A. Hence the phrase lost in translation, man. Language is so fragile, so incomplete in so many ways. We're just, you know, we're all these fucking meat sacks. We're roaming around, you know, in our, in our, amongst our various tribes and our various corners of the globe, just trying to express our feelings as best we can and always failing to some degree, you know, always falling uh, a little short. Now, a little silliness from last week. <laughs> this really made me laugh from sucker Zach Gentry. Zach says, I just want to say I used my 30% off at the Chikatilo wrestling class, and I'm going to have to give it a two-star review. It's located across the street from David Icke's Subs and Sud Shop. Uh, they have an amazing sandwich that is made from lizard meat. Uh, and the wrestling classes, uh, you know, uh, I walk in. I, I was met with, a, with the pleasant aroma of what I can only imagine is exactly what Soviet Russia smells like. Uh, not knowing exactly what to study first, I decided to go through the armbar takedown class. We're partnered up man on man, and we're taught that once on the ground, we're supposed to mash our cocks uh, while breathing heavy, over, hovering over our partner. And I thought that was weird, but I'm new to wrestling, so what do I know? Anyway, after a week, uh, all, the, all the classes, all I've learned is how to dispose of bodies poorly and how to have a grown man mash his cock near my face. And so I asked for a refund but was told they don't give refunds. Just thought you should know, not worth the $799.99 price uh, <laughs> after our 30% off probably would return uh, if they did lower the price. Man, fuck. Sorry, buddy. Sorry, Zach. I apologize, man. That's really frustrating to hear about Chikatilo's Wrestling Academy. I just, I wish it would behave up to the standards of a normal Time Suck sponsor, man. I, I don't know a lot about wrestling either, but it does seem, it does seem like there should be more to wrestling than getting a cock mask in your face and just disposing poorly of bodies. So I, I hope, I hope at the very least you got that free limp straw water bottle and I hope you enjoy it. So sorry, Zach. Wish I could give you a refund myself, man. Uh, good to hear though about David Ike's uh, subs and suds though. Look forward to that lizard sandwich. I'm gonna have to grab one of those. And, and I look forward to more updates from you cool sons of bitches uh, during next week's suck. Thanks, time suckers. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. Have a fantastic week, suckers. Don't worry. The next week's topic is gonna suck in the wrong way. It's just focus on being the cult of curious. Don't drink any radioactive water. Don't play in a glowing sandbox. And keep on sucking. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out? Sleep, read a book, play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. 
This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck.